on September the 11th, 2001, the United States and the world changed forever. The national tragedy on 9-11 shook the foundations of the country and the reverberations were inescapable. Then there's the terrible blow the terrorists landed on the US financial system. Since the disaster, $1 trillion has been wiped off the value of the US markets, a loss not seen since the Great Depression. All industries across New York were impacted, fashion included. You saw this kind of sense of peril for the industry. And then there was a rallying call from Vogue and from the CFDA to do something to help. During a time of economic uncertainty, established fashion houses had the financial means to survive the social turbulence. Meanwhile, emerging talent lacked the industry knowledge and the capital to continue into the new millennium. It was especially hard for emerging designers who did not get the kind of support from retailers, department stores, that big name brands were getting. And that is really the genesis of the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund. The mission was to, to build up young American design. I don't know if we'd be here without the Vogue Fund because in a way it enabled us to be the business leaders of our company, to be the designers that we wanted to be. In partnership with the CFDA, Vogue created the Fashion Fund and over the last 20 years has launched the careers of many of today's top designers. Welcome to In Vogue, the 2000s, a podcast about the decade that ushered in a new millennium and redefined boundaries in fashion and society. Alongside fashion leaders, cultural icons and Vogue's editorial team, we'll dissect the decade's most impactful style moments and how they've shaped our culture today. I'm Anna Winter. And I'm your host, Hamish Bowles. As America began sweeping up the rubble in the wake of 9-11 and taking stock of the damage it had caused on a national scale, it soon became clear that fashion would be one of the many industries to suffer major losses. This is Vogue's fashion news director, Mark Holgate. Suddenly there was a kind of landscape where American fashion, as with so many industries in America, and particularly in New York, were just suddenly under threat and were really struggling because of the fallout and the impact of the terrible moment of 9-11. It's hard for some people to remember, you know, that far back. It was 20 years ago, but like COVID today, the fear and anxiety that the 9-11 attacks created really impacted people's shopping habits. The fashion community saw the need to support the next wave of emerging designers. For creators on the cusp of career beginnings, the economic downturn was devastating. The fashion world was at risk of losing an entire generation of talent and innovation. Here's Vogue's former creative director, Sally Singer. I was involved with the CFD Vogue Fashion Front from the outset, from the initial conversation about how we could help emerging designers get a leg up in the world, to identify the next step that they needed to take professionally, and to utilize the resources of established designers and companies in New York City, the industry overall, to help give back, in a way, to newer talents and to sort of 
connect the dots between an industry in which, you know, there was a very established generation and there was a struggling new generation. Here's Vogue's Global Editorial Director, Anna Winter. It may seem like a very small initiative when you look at the bigger picture of how the world was was really affected that day. But to all of us at Vogue, I think we felt very helpless, but we knew that we wanted to do something that was within our influence to make a small, small difference. Sally Singer recognised opportunities to step in early on. We had done a show after 9-11 called An American View, a group show at Carolina Herrera's studio, just to give people who lost their deposits on showrooms and lost their deposits on their shows and had built sample collections out, which just never going to be seen, a place to show together. And Carolina really generously donated her space. New York was still in a very tense period. And we put on this show. And what we realized about a year later was almost everyone was out of business. That wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to just give a space to show, give one that you, there had to be more one could do. The editors at Vogue and other leaders in the industry thought to partner with the CFDA, the Council of Fashion Designers of America, to create the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund, specifically for up-and-coming designers. Here's Vogue editor Mark Holgate. The idea was to really provide space, literally and metaphorically, for some of these younger designers to have a moment to shine in American fashion amidst all of the big names, the Marks and the Michaels and the Calvins and the Donners and the Ralphs and the Oscars and the Carolinas, you know, the, the kind of big establishment names. And it just seemed like the time to put something together where we could bring the established fashion community in to set up mentorship and money and to establish a fund that could start to bring a focus and a generational specificity and a true sense of community to New York Fashion Week. First, they had to raise the money. So, yeah, we put together a dinner, I believe, at Mayor Bloomberg's house to try to raise donations and raise a profile for it. And Eventually, it came together, and it was very, very exciting. A key player in the creation of the Fashion Fund was Anna Winter. So we created the Fashion Fund. We launched it with a very generous donation from Cy Newhouse. Calvin was involved. Donna was involved. Ralph was involved. Vera was involved. Everybody was very, very generous in supporting the the initiative. There's an application process where we have hundreds of designers from all over the United States applying We go through the list. There's a selection committee. We whittle it down to 10 final candidates. And over the past 20 years, we have given out substantial sums to three winners and mentorship to three young designers every year. Andrew Rosen, co-founder of Theory and recurring CVFF juror, has key insights on what makes an applicant a contender. We're looking for people that... um, are innovative, that have integrity in terms of their design and their company and people that we feel have a future. I feel that's almost the most important sort of box that we tick when we're selecting our three final candidates is that we have to understand what their storytelling is, not only to us, but to their audiences and to their customers. With the criteria for the selection established, applications flooded in. From the outset, Every step of the process was intimidating, competitive and utterly nerve-wracking for aspiring candidates. 
This is 2008 CVFF finalist Jason Wu. I entered once before and did not get in. And then the second time around was when I was able to really, through my project, show who I am. So from the get-go, you've got to be completely sure of who you are, your identity and what your brand is about. So in some ways, it's kind of the ultimate boot camp. The drill sergeants of this boot camp are fashion's top executives. Here's Nicole Phelps. The jury of the Fashion Fund has always been a mixture of Vogue editors, of CFDA representatives, retailers, e-tailers, and some fellow designers. Once admitted, the designers must present their collections, their business models, and themselves to the fashion panellists. Everything about the presentation is scrutinised. Vogue editor Virginia Smith has seen firsthand how intimidating it can be for young designers to present themselves before such a high-profile panel. Just being backstage with all the designers, they were nervous, and we'd be like, OK, you're going to be fine. They're not as scary as they look. Or we'd say, don't look at Anna if you're nervous. <laughs> Just look at someone else. <laughs> designers and sister duo Laura and Kate Malivi of Rodate have memories presenting to the Fashion Fund panellists in the late 2000s. Our first Vogue Fund experience was having to do an in-person interview. We practiced all these answers, talking about business models. And I remember going into where the actual meeting was and all the designers were there and everyone was on a rotational schedule. We were interviewed by Anna Wintour and I remember thinking, oh, this is it. You know, this is your moment to convince people to believe in you. and. I remember thinking this is this is really where you have to nail an audition. It was very nerve-wracking and very scary, but it meant the world because it meant people believed in you at, at your infancy. You know, it's not like you've developed a 10-year career and have all these amazing designs to show. You don't really have the body of work to show that idea. That's just in your mind. Here's Jason Wu with a first-hand experience of presenting to the fund's panelists. It's really daunting, you know. I remember the presentation, you know, where you saw like Anna and, you know, the group of very intimidating judges in a room. And, you know, we all had this like a little timer and we had to have five looks that defined who we were and who we are. Here's Rodarty's Laura Malivi. There was two moments where you had to showcase clothing. There was the initial interview and then there was a secondary part where we did a fashion show. So we had previewed a few pieces, and the runway show was items from our fall 2006 show. Here's Rodarty's Kate Malivi. I remember being very nervous. There was a, a large show, and all the looks exited, and each designer had their moment in the show. And I just remember thinking, oh, I'm so scared to walk out at the end. And it probably seemed like a larger audience to me at the time than we were used to. And I remember having a lot of fun on that trip. One of the newest names to come to the fore was 2019 winner Christopher John Rogers. We were making clothes in our apartment and we were really trying to manifest our reality, or our fantasies actually, into our realities. And by really knowing what we wanted to say and who we were talking to and not just through the clothes but through the business and how we really kind of wanted to set it up, I think the judges really kind of responded to that. Being named a finalist in 2008 remains a fond memory for Jason Wu. I mean, I, 
I was ecstatic. I couldn't stop smiling. And when you're, you know, working day to day, you don't know, I mean, are, am I doing well? Am I not doing well? You know, once you get selected to finals, it, it did feel like a seal of approval in so many ways. What it said was that, you know, you are contributing something interesting to fashion. The moment Christopher heard the news that he was a CVFF nominee is one he won't soon forget. I was in my studio with my team and I was just like going through my emails and then saw that email and I was gagging. I was like, oh my God. And normally I'm not like a freak out type of person, but I was like very excited. Vogue editor Mark Holgate is a CVFF panel member who has vivid memories of Christopher as a contender for the fund's top prize. You couldn't help but be swayed by his vision because, you know, the thing with Christopher is he does it with an absolute sense of dedication and an absolute sense of belief in what he's doing. Sometimes fashion, for a young designer, sometimes what you want to see is ambition. You know, you want to see ambition of vision, ambition of making, ambition of aesthetic, ambition for what fashion can be for that person. Having ambition, tenacity and a clear point of view are consistent traits amongst fashion fund applicants. The Malivi sisters' forward vision was unmistakable. What's so fascinating about Kate and Laura Malivi of Bajati for me is they make these incredibly innovative and imaginative and oftentimes, to my mind, romantic, very narrative-driven collections. I've always found to be uh, incredibly compelling. Here are Kate and Laura Malivi of Rodati, who won the runner-up prize in 2006. I can viscerally remember the moment that we won, just because there was so much nervous energy leading up to that night. It was really interesting to be in that room and to feel as though maybe this could change your career. In 2019, Christopher John Rogers' vision, ambition and dedication to his craft set him apart from his peers. The jury awarded him the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund's top prize. The first thing that I did with the money was buy a studio space. We really needed a space devoted strictly to work. And I'm really glad that I made that investment. And then I hired the people who were working for me for free, basically, my friends. Um, I hired them full time. For any aspiring designer, the idea of a career in fashion can feel like a fantasy. Winning the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund, a wild dream. For Lazaro Hernandez of Proenza Scuola, the fund's inaugural winner in 2004, his story is a fairy tale come to life. Here's Vogue creative editorial director, Mark Reducci. When Lazaro Hernandez was a first year student at Parsons, he was returning back to New York from Florida where he grew up and was in the Miami airport. It was before 9-11 and so his mother was allowed to walk him to the gate. And when it came time for boarding, he noticed that Anna Winter was on his flight and he told his mother, who had no idea who she was, but he explained how important she was. And his mother said, you should go up and say hello and introduce yourself. And he said, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. And his mother actually made him promise her that before the end of the flight, he would go up and introduce himself. So he actually wrote a note on the back of a 
cocktail napkin and went up to first class to deliver the note. He left it on her tray table and went back to his seat. He didn't hear anything until about a week later, he got a call from someone at Michael Kors who said that Michael had received the note from Anna and offered if he would like an internship. And that was his first job in fashion. And Michael gave Lazaro the notes to keep. A few years later, when Lazaro had met Jack McCullough, who became his partner both in life and work, and they had founded Proenza Schooler, which was named for their mothers, Lazaro actually included that same note in their application for the first ever CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund. And then they went on to win it, and Anna actually returned the note to him. Parenza Schooler set the standard for Fashion Fund winners. Their innovation, attention to detail, and awareness of their generation's fashion interests made them the clear choice to win the first ever CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund. Vogue editor Mark Holgate has enjoyed a front row seat observing each year's winners. It's really interesting to see designers who, you know, you've watched them from the very beginning of their careers mature in a kind of really interesting and compelling way. It's also interesting to watch designers grow up because many of the people that were moving in their orbit in the early 2000s have grown up with them. What connects Parenza Schuller in 2004 with Christopher John Rogers in 2019 is they share this unabashed love of fashion. And one of the things I think is very important that we do with the fund is that we honour and support and celebrate those designers who've come through who really convey a sense of excitement about what they do and how it can operate in the world. The difference, of course, is that you know when Jack and Lazaro won in 2004, there was no history of the fashion fund for them to draw on. I mean, literally, they graduated perhaps two years earlier. So it'd been a very quick ride for them. With Christopher, you know, he is someone who had seen a whole generation of young American designers spring up before him. So he had that to draw. But I think what unites them, despite that 15-year difference, is a sense of the possibilities of what fashion can be and how inventive and creative and how life-affirming it can be. And those two labels, those two winners, definitely share that. The CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund gave winners like Proenza Schooler and Christopher John Rogers the financial stability to launch a successful brand. After the break, hear how the Fashion Fund's monetary support, in addition to its access to industry mentorship, catapulted unproven designers into new realms of success. Hey, Run Through listeners. Are you curious about what goes on behind the scenes at Vogue and in the world of fashion? Join Vogue Club, a one-of-a-kind fashion community where you can unlock exclusive access to Vogue editors, industry players, and fellow members, as well as receive expert style advice, tickets to VIP events, handpicked gifts, and so much more. Visit VogueClub.com today and get 20% off using promo code THERUNTHROUGH20. That's VogueClub.com, promo code THERUNTHROUGH20.
after months of gruelling work, winners receive prize money to invest in their business. In 2019, the top prize was $400,000. Here's Sally Singer. That's a drop in the bucket in fashion. And that just sounds nuts, I know, but you're paying so many different people just to manufacture a shoe. You're getting the hardware probably from one place. You're getting the leather out of another place. You've got another place that maybe makes the sole. You know, you can visit, you know, multiple different factories in Italy to make one shoe. And those are all people you have to pay. And you have to pay them maybe before you even got the orders in. Fashion can be a very expensive business to be in. As important as the funding is to the award winners, the mentorship aspect of the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund is just as transformative. Yeah, the money can be exceptional, but the mentorship can be transformational. I mean, for example, the first year that Renzo Schuller won, Rosemary Bravo, who's then, I think, the chief executive of Burberry, helped mentor them. And in fact, I, my understanding is that Rosemary still, to this day, talks to Jack and Lazaro, Renzo Schuller, about their business. But she was a kind of constant helping them through the year. Basically, you're expected to mentor someone for a year, but of course, the mentoring goes on far longer than that. One of the things that mentorship does is it allows talents with the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund Prize to have access to some of that brain power. Those are the best mentors, the mentors who have tackled the thornier business questions, the growth questions, the scale questions, and have done it with sensitivity and passion for creative brains who maybe can do many things, but they're really not good at that yet. It's a lot to be good at all of it. And sometimes those mentors can simply teach an emerging talent which questions to ask. How do you interview a CEO? What do you even expect from a CEO? Those sorts of things. They can, I guess, you know, they can provide the business school education to a design talent. Here's Rodarte's Laura Malivi. We were a runner-up. One of our opportunities was to be partnered with a... CEO of a brand, and they partnered us with James MacArthur, who was at the time the CEO of Balenciaga under Nicolas Gasquet. And that was an amazing experience to go to their showroom in Paris and see what it was like, what sales were like for a billion dollar company. And to ask questions about how do you have artistic integrity at a company and want it to grow? And how do you monitor that? So there was really amazing things that came out of the Vogue Fund. The fusion of creativity and commerce which is, you know, such a kind of peculiarly American phenomenon in some ways in the fashion world, was really a force and guiding principle of the fashion fund. Uh, the encouragement to the designers was think creatively and think business and think how you can bring those two things together. You can't mentor someone to be a creative genius. They either are or they're not. But you can teach them how to shape that into a commercially viable vision and at the end of the day, if you want to be in the fashion game, you're doing commercially viable vision. It's not art, it's commerce. As someone who's been a member of the CVFF jury, Global Director of Vogue Runway, Nicole Phelps, believes that one of the most valuable components of the programme comes from the camaraderie of the applicants. Everyone who goes through the programme makes incredible contacts, not just with the jury, 
but also with their fellow designers. And I think, you know, having been on the jury for a couple of years, the relationships that the designers make with each other, their their fellow finalists, I think is probably the, the greatest part of the fund because fashion can be quite a competitive industry. They also find new camaraderie and, and you know, build these sort of colleague relationships that are really beneficial to them because they're all in the same emerging talent boat and going through many similar experiences and they can learn from each other and share advice with each other. Here's Jason Wu. Rodarte was somebody I looked up to. I think there's something that's you know amazing about their point of view. It's something that is different than everybody else's and there was a lot of craftsmanship within what they do. Here's Laura Malevi. Being put in a room with a group of other designers that were working alongside of us felt suddenly as though we had a opportunity to be part of something that was bigger than us. And that was really important to not feel alone. It can be challenging because you don't want to be overwhelmed with influence. But at the same time, you do need to feel a part of something. Whether or not applicants are one of the top three winners, merely taking part in the Fashion Fund drastically changes the trajectory of participating designers for the better. And then in terms of those that doesn't necessarily walk away with an award, they're encouraged to keep in touch and encouraged to ask for help. When you think of all the people that have been through the fund, you know, there's a few designers who, you know, for example, like someone like Rag and Bone did not win, but Rag and Bone have gone on to be enormously successful. So there are stories where those that win go on, you know, do well, and those that don't also go on to do well. The level of global recognition and prestige that the fund has earned allows for award recipients to make connections with high-profile individuals. Perhaps most notable is the former First Lady of the United States, Michelle Obama. Today was a day that represented all your efforts. They said it couldn't be done. The First Lady of the United States has been doing the same thing that I've been doing except backwards and in heels. Let me uh, ask her for one last dance. The arrival of President Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama into the White House ushered in all sorts of optimism and joy and a sense of really being able to look forward and embrace the future. And I think in particular with fashion, I think that former First Lady Michelle Obama was such a wonderful advocate and champion for young American designers, because all of a sudden you had this incredibly smart, brilliant person wearing designers that many people around the world, but in America too, had never heard of, uh, many of whom had actually come through the CFTA Vogue Fashion Fund. Designers like Jason Wu or Prenza Schooler or Rodarte, and she wore it with such authority and conviction and style that it was kind of just captivating and wonderful to see. At the 2009 inaugural ball, Michelle Obama set the tone for her tenure as First Lady by donning a gown created by a young American designer, Jason Wu. Here's Vogue editor Mark Holgate. You think about her wearing that white Jason Wu gown at the inauguration ball, and that was 
you know, an incredible kind of moment for a young designer like Jason to see his dress worn by the First Lady at such an incredible historic moment. Here's Jason Wu. You know, it was kind of crazy. It's like Mrs. Obama's office wants something. And I was like, okay, (laughs) the deadline is like in two weeks. I had a team of five people back then. So, you know, it was basically like, I don't even know how to get this collection done. So like, how am I supposed to do custom stuff? So basically, we just had to figure it out. It was all hands on deck. I remember um, I sketched the dress as I was being briefed on the phone on the corner of a page I drew with like a little sharpie and then I sent over the sketch I think in an hour an hour after the phone call and I okay please proceed the dress was delivered in November and then so December happened and January happened nothing nothing and then like you know January 20th everybody was watching the inauguration because it was a very historical event you know we all wanted to watch it and we were like having dinner and watching you know I was like oh it can't be me it's impossible this is too big of a thing you know Beyonce is performing so like that's juicy all of a sudden the first lady comes out and I'm like holy f I was like it's me and I'm like crying and I'm like hysterical right and, you know, in five minutes, like CNN and all the NBC, all the news were like, you know, First Lady Michelle Obama wears young designer Jason Wu. I mean, it was a huge turning point for my career. I think I must have gotten like 500 text messages and calls that night. You know, I mean, my parents were calling me and they're like, you didn't tell us any of this. And I told my parents, like, I didn't know. But, you know, that kind of did catapult my brand into another stratosphere. All of a sudden, we became international. The first African-American First Lady of the United States made a conscious effort to wear collections by the nation's young, emerging designers, giving them instant visibility and lasting credibility. Here's Kate Malevi. I can say this. When you dress Michelle Obama, every person in your life, whether or not it's an acquaintance or someone you know well, is so excited I think it was understood from the very beginning. She was an American first lady, and it just made sense to wear American designers on the whole, percentage-wise, more than international designers. This is stylist Meredith Koop, who's long worked with Michelle Obama. Now, of course, there were different events where it made sense to wear an international designer or when we were traveling to pay homage to another place or country or city in the world, but definitely wearing new emerging designers, wearing American designers was always part of where my mind was at. I think that especially during the time that it was happening and because we hadn't seen a first lady that number one looked like Mrs. Obama and number two that was wearing and supporting so many designers from different backgrounds, from different nationalities, different races, different ways that they came up in their careers. For so many people, I think when you say, oh, well, if if this person with this story made something that the first lady of the United States is wearing, it's like, wow, the optimism of keep going, I can do this, like, I can accomplish something. I think that Michelle Obama was, is the most incredible advocate for American fashion. This is Vogue editor Mark Holgate. 
think she understood the power of support. And I think she understood that in a way her role was not just where the big established American names, but to look to the new generations and to find a way to endorse and to push them into the spotlight. She also understood the value of fashion. She was also very, very good at wearing brands that were much more accessible to the majority of American uh, people. And, and I love that democratizing fashion that she, that she introduced. You know, it wasn't just wearing a few big names. It was, it was an embrace of all, which to me says so much about her and says so much about her way of carrying herself in the world. After the Obamas transitioned out of the White House, stylist Meredith Koop was able to inject even more authenticity and energy into Michelle Obama's wardrobe, while continuing to show unwavering support for American designers. When it came time to pull pieces for Mrs Obama's Becoming book tour, Meredith was on the lookout for something fresh, like the designs of the 2019 CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund winner Christopher John Rogers. I had talked to him about doing a suit. He'd sent me fabrics. We went back and forth. I was a little bit like, I really, 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 really want this to work out. But like, until I get it, until I put it on her, I don't really know. It came, we got into the fitting, she put it on. It just fits so beautifully. And I was like, I don't know why I'm like emotional about it, but it was just so... I was like really blown away by not only the design and the fabric choice, but also it's just the fit. And I will tell you, working with hundreds of designers from all different levels all across the world, some of which are like super duper famous, but cannot make a garment for a woman that is above a size four. And that is a hundred percent true. And so I was just so impressed and it was just such a great moment. For Meredith, Putting Christopher's pieces on Michelle Obama was a significant moment in continuing to uplift a rising star. Meredith has a deep understanding of the importance of the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund's support for Christopher right from the beginning. It's very hard to be a fashion designer. Like when people reach out to me, like I'll have some people that are in their early 20s like DMing me or I'll meet somebody along the way that's like, I want to be a designer. I'm like, why? Because it's hard. You need a lot of capital to start a business like that because you need fabric, sewers, production, marketing. So I think any support that can be given to young designers, in this case, young American designers, I think is a positive thing. I think any way that people can get funding from a source like the CFDA, is a positive thing. It's not magic. It's about money at the end of the day. And it's about support. At the real source, at the real root of it, a lot of it is about having the funding to make your business happen. The alumni of the Fashion Fund include designers like Kirby Jean Raymond, Tom Brown, Fruenza Scula, Isabel Toledo, Joseph Altazara, and Takoon. In recognizing the need to provide financial support for emerging talent, as well as mentorship, guidance and fellowship, Anna Winter has helped usher new American designers onto the global stage. I think we, when we look at the, the list of designers that have been through the Fashion Fund, and obviously 
There are so many now. Some have succeeded. Some have maybe gone on to other things in their lives. But it's been a wonderfully, I think, rewarding experience for all of us at Vogue. And I hope for the designers that go through the program. Without supporting designers, you have no future as an industry. It's not enough. I think the really important thing about the CFTA Vogue Fashion Fund was the way it underscored that the industry needed to step in, step up and support the new generation. You know, as the industry has become increasingly big, increasingly globalized and the stakes get higher, you know, and brands have more and more money and resources at their disposal, the lesser known names, they need to be supported, they need to be nurtured, they need to be advised. And I think to me that is really the lasting legacy of the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund because it, it made the industry aware that, you know, new talents don't just happen, that you, we actually have to have some sense of responsibility and investment in their future because it's, it's important to invest in the future of the industry. And I think that, you know, we're able to see the fruits of that now in America. Fashion is an industry that constantly responds to and examines the moment. When the nation faced a moment of terror and resulting fear and economic uncertainty, America's fashion leaders ensured that their industry would continue by supporting the next wave of emerging designers. While the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund was created in response to a traumatic moment in America's history, Nearly 20 years later, it continues to nurture the next generation of American designers, ultimately redefining fashion and the cultural landscape. You know, the sheer number of people that would never have been discovered under the traditional fashion system, you know, that happened in the 2000s make it, makes it a pretty groundbreaking moment in American fashion, I would say. You can say, I want to do this thing, and with the support from your family and your peers and the industry that you choose to work in or want to work in, that you can make your dreams a reality and that you can do anything with hard work and sacrifice and determination. I think a testament to the Vogue Fund would be just the fact that we've been doing this for 15 years on our own. We are the sole owners of our company. We're independent. We run our business. We are everything that you see on a runway comes from Laura and I. We don't have assistant designers. The enduring success of the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund highlights the commitment of the fashion industry to ensuring the next generation of fashion talent. By providing designers with financial resources and business mentoring, American fashion innovation continues to shape the fashion world at large. In the next episode of In Vogue, the 2000s, we'll learn how two of the fashion world's biggest innovators changed the course of fashion history in a singular photo shoot. Follow us down the rabbit hole as we explore how legendary editor Grace Coddington and groundbreaking photographer Annie Leibovitz joined forces to deliver one of the industry's most iconic moments of the decade, the 2003 Alice in Wonderland fashion shoot. In Vogue, the 2000s, is presented by Anna Winter and produced by Vogue in partnership with Pod People. Production support by Jacqueline Jamjoom, Tony Mantia, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Madison Lusby, Frida Lucas, Marie McCoy-Thompson, Morgan Foose, Mariah Dennis, 
Daniel Brunel, Gordon Bramley, Sam Mabata, Nikki Stein, Persia Verlin, and Stephanie Bachara. Theme music composed by DJ Ghostad. Vogue's editorial team is Led Borelli Person, Mark Holgate, Nicole Phelps, and myself, Hamish Bowles. Special thanks to Vogue's creative editorial director, Mark Riducci, VP of Digital Video Programming and Development, Robert Semmer, VP of Audio, Julie Shen, and director of podcasts, Nico Steele. Please do subscribe to the podcast. It helps new listeners find the show. You can find additional information, incredible imagery, and episode references in the show notes or at vogue.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Hamish Bowles. Until next week, in Vogue. Hey, Run-Through listeners. Are you curious about what goes on behind the scenes at Vogue and in the world of fashion? Join Vogue Club, a one-of-a-kind fashion community where you can unlock exclusive access to Vogue editors, industry players, and fellow members, as well as receive expert style advice, tickets to VIP events, hand-picked gifts, and so much more. Visit VogueClub.com today and get 20% off using promo code THERUNTHROUGH20. That's VogueClub.com, promo code THERUNTHROUGH20. 